Hello and welcome to Charity Chats. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. Are you often thinking of ways to reorganise your workload? Do you feel that you have bad habits, perhaps, that might be affecting how efficient you are? If your answer to either of these questions is yes, then you're like me. And like me, you might find this chat, in fact, I'm sure you will, with Rob Legg, independent trainer and coach, very useful. Rob has heaps of experience as a senior manager and working in the charity sector as well as coaching and training. And he and I spoke a number of weeks ago on issues affecting how people can better organise their time and tips and solutions that Rob has, uh, I think you could uh, could find useful, as I did, about effectively organising your workload and even your personal lives. So here we go, here we talk to Rob Legg about prioritising effectively. Rob Legg, welcome to Charity Chat. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, today we're in the National Gallery Cafe. It's a plug for the National Gallery, Isn't which it? is also yeah. a charity, of course. And uh, we are uh, we're talking about organising workloads, which I, for one, would really benefit from because I know that I've got a lot of bad habits. I'm checking emails, you know, checking the same email sometimes two or three times, reading over it, thinking I'll do that another time. And wasting a lot of time that way. I'm looking through documents two or three times, and you know, think I'll, I'll do that another time. I've got lots of bad habits, and um, and I know that you know people in the charity sector that increasingly is a, a large workload and lots yes. of emails and lots of phone calls to deal with. So you know, we've got all these things that are coming at us all the time. How do we manage that? What are what are the typical bad habits that you've seen people make uh, kind of on a regular basis? I suppose uh, thinking about people's bad habits is the common theme is that they uh, lack focus and, and it's not their fault it's because the amount of work that's there yeah. is just too great for everybody to cope with and therefore trying to cut through and prioritize seems to be the biggest challenge for them mm. and that seems to be at frontline middle management and senior management sure and so, what are the tips? The tips are around priorities, really. How do you define your priorities? Mm -hmm. Will depend on what your role is and where you sit in the, in the organisation. Yeah. But once you can hold on to that, then you've got a chance of at least getting those things sorted today. And is it is it things like people not measuring expectations? So I mean, I know that you know in the past I've had managers who have said you know. Sam do this, do that, do this, and I've accepted all of it, and then I've struggled to deliver on any of this. And is, is that a large, you know, in terms of managing your workload, is that, is that a big issue that you think people have, and, and how do people overcome that kind of thing? It, it is, but I suppose we, we go back to why are we in the third sector in the first place? Yeah. We are there probably because we've got some passion around the course, yeah. and then when somebody asks us, or gives us the opportunity to do additional work, mm. we're, we're silly enough to take it. <laughs> because, because we want to help. Yeah. And so, so very often we end up over-promising yeah. and under-delivering, not because of laziness or anything like that, but very much because we desperately want to help the cause that we're part of. Yeah. And I suppose coming back to priorities and tips, I suppose the one that you mentioned just at the very start is I, I tend to look at my emails two or three times a day um, 
Uh, I tend to look at paperwork two or three times a day. There are a number of techniques that we can use, mm. even if we don't use them 100% of the time. And so like on, on emails, for, for example, when I do my training courses, I tend to talk to people about emails being other people's agendas. Right, okay. And if you take that as other people's agendas, mm. you've got to find space for your own agendas uh, every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do we do? First thing that we get into the office or even before the office mm. with our smartphones is that we open other people's agendas. Right. If we can take 10, 15 minutes at the start of the day mm. with our own to-do list, yeah. we start the day off correctly. Right, okay. So that's just one little tip. That's a really good tip, yeah, because I'm definitely uh, somebody that does that. I'm first yeah. thing on the train, checking my emails. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. sets with And we back all foot. are, and of course we're expect. you know, we'll have initiated emails, and therefore yeah. we're looking for things back. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's always shades of grey, as it were, yeah. rather than black and white. But, you know, two or three days a week, if you can, yeah start off the day with your to-do list, your priorities, mm. rather than other people's that are coming through the, the, the emails. The other thing on emails is don't have it constantly on. Right. Just because the technology allows you to do that, um, try and control it, try and mm. put boundaries around it. And someone once shared with me, Three, two, one. Email. Okay. What did he mean? He meant use open your emails three times a day. Yeah. And do it for twenty-one minutes. Okay. Actually, does it really matter whether it's three or twenty-one? Yeah. For the principle of not having your emails always on, that you're always ready to receive. Yeah, yeah. Always yeah. ready to be distracted from that ping. Yeah. Is I think the critical critical idea there because there's a lot of stuff around uh, deep I think they call it deep work or deep thought where there's the kind of the actual focusing on a piece of work and really focusing on it and not being distracted and and the, the point you make about the send the emails off I mean that's something again I mean I'm making all of these mistakes because I'm you know and I it pings up on my on my screen so I'm constantly you know kind of being distracted by that pinging up and and also I put a lot of pressure on myself to try and get through all of my, at least read all of my emails every day. And on some days I'm getting, you know, 50 emails a day. Um, Non-personal emails as well. So this kind of idea around deep thought and, and taking time to focus on a piece of work, especially if it's a very detailed piece of work, like, you know, reading a, I don't know, corporate fundraising agreement or, or you know, writing something, you know, an appeal, for example. I mean, all of this is stuff that uh, really requires our, our full undivided attention, isn't it? It, it does, and, and I think sometimes when we talk about it, it's such basic common sense yeah. that it's, it almost shouldn't be talked about. Mm. But because of the technology and the distractions now and, and the overwhelming demands, yeah. we've got to find a way of getting back to basics. Absolutely. One of the techniques that um, I've used, particularly when I'm doing what you call deep work or a concentrated piece of work, yeah is something called the Pomodoro Technique. Okay. Pomodoro is Italian, I'm told, yeah. not being fluent in Italian, <laughs> uh, for tomato. Okay, and, yeah, and yeah. And it comes from the idea of those plastic 
kitchen timers that most people have got in their kitchens yeah. where you just turn the tomato on to a timer yeah and the idea is that you put the timer for 25 minutes Right. And during that 25 minutes, every other distraction is out of the way. Mm, yeah. And you just concentrate on your topic. Yeah. I'm, I'm a trainer, and so when I'm putting a, a day's training together, I start with that first Pomodoro section. Mm. And I've got just 25 minutes when I start, and I've got the tyranny of that blank piece of paper. Yeah. By the end of the 25 minutes, I've started. Yeah, and yeah. actually, I want to carry on. Sure. The, the, the technique recommends that after 25 minutes, the alarm goes off and you, you force stop. yourself to stop. And, yeah. you, and you move away from the work right. physically. You know, and it might be you know, go to the loo, go, go make a cup of tea or yeah, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. But you geographically distance yourself from the work and mentally distance yourself from the work. Yeah. Give yourself a break. If you've got time, you'll do another t Pomodoro, another 25 minutes, yeah. or you'll find another time later on in your schedule. So it's a real discipline, and I suppose in having that discipline, it means that you're, you're then, you're, you're pushing yourself to focus for that length of time, aren't you? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But the 25 minutes feels doable. Mm. Whereas if I say, I've got, to, I've got to put this one day training course together, yeah. it's gonna take me, I guess, two days to do mm. it. Mm. I will never have two clear days in my diary, but I can get 25 minutes and suddenly I'm encouraged yeah. and I'll find another 25 minutes and before I know it, I'm halfway there. And I suppose 25 minutes, if you've got, a, if you've got something you need to do on a given day and you're looking for 25 minutes, you know, if you, you know I've, I've worked in uh, big open plan offices and small offices and they're both noisy and they yeah. both people are constantly asking questions and things like that. But 25 minutes, you can wait till people are on lunch or you can go and check yourself into a meeting room and that should be doable, I suppose, in most yeah. places. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, I mean, not only is it a small, doable chunk, yeah. but also there's something around the office environment that stops you doing deep work, stops you focusing. Mm, mm. And almost everybody on my training courses come to the conclusion that they've got to move. Yeah. If they want to do consolidated deep work they have to either move desks and swap mm -hmm. or find a meeting place or go to a local cafe or find a way to have half a day or a day at home yeah, yeah. and then their productivity shoots up really okay there's something about the environment at work mm. that they collude with yeah yeah you know they're there they they listen to other people's conversations mm. and have, a, have an opinion about Absolutely. as well as other people interrupting their workflow yeah I think the other point is of course certainly in the 80s 90s um, and beyond multitasking was considered a good thing yeah yeah and yet increasingly the kind of neuroscience of it is that you, you'll take longer mm -hmm. it's impossible to multitask yeah the quality is not as good mm. and your stress levels go up so whenever you can do one task at a time yeah if you can pick the most important that's even better to start with and maybe you might complete it but you'll certainly complete it quicker mm. than any other way
there a proven uh, way of managing a workload? I mean, I, for example, use a combination of things. I've got apps, on, I, I bought myself an iPad to try and manage my different workloads and things. And I've got, you know, lists on there. I've got reminders that pop up. I've got my email inbox. I've got my calendar. You know, I've probably got four or five lists. And it, I don't know if it's the most efficient way of managing my workload, but what, what about, you know, are there, are there proven things? Or is it very much a subjective thing? Um, I think ultimately it's a subjective thing. Mm. It's whatever is comfortable for you. And it's also a dynamic thing. So yeah. uh, at a certain stage in your career, you might be using certain things. You might find different things help you. And also, you know, most of us enjoy either the electronic version or the paper version yeah, of a new yeah. diary. Absolutely. There's something about a new diary that yeah, yeah, gives yeah. us hope <laughs> to, to change, doesn't it? Because when you get it, there's nothing in it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think we all have that kind of psychological yeah. uh, opportunity to refresh. Mm. And sometimes the psychological thing that we get mu you know, stuck in the mire. Yeah, yeah. So my tip would be keep it simple. Yeah and start with the most important wherever you can. Um, there's a guy called Brian Tracy who wrote a book called Eat That Frog. Oh, right. Now for the vegetarians amongst us, that's a hard <laughs> one, but the idea of the frog yeah. was something that was big and um, perhaps something that you didn't want to do. Yeah. It was important, but you didn't want to do. And by starting to chew the frog, you actually started to get um, get better, right, and it was okay. always important work. One of one of the people who was on my training course, clearly a procrastinator, said <laughs> this was a life-changing book for her. Really? So, so is it tackling the thing that's the most difficult first? Is that yes. the kind of the way of yeah. looking at it? Yeah. Yeah. The most difficult or the most important, and often yeah. often they are the same. Yeah, because I know there are things that I've found where you know. I, I need to make a phone call to somebody, especially, or I need to, you know, kind of contact somebody, ask something difficult. Yeah. And it, I don't do that first thing. That's on my mind while I'm doing other tasks too. And I suppose then it goes back to what you said about, you know, you lose focus on the things you're yeah. trying to do because yeah. you've got this difficult task on your mind the whole day. You know, so yeah. that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. And also, you're looking to have success. Yeah. You're looking to have satisfaction. Yeah. And having done it. Even if it hasn't gone perfectly, yeah. there's, a, there's a, a lovely feeling about ticking off that bit on the to-do list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You come out of the day feeling better, even if the other things haven't gone quite so well. Yeah. How many times do I certainly, I find with myself, but I've gone through a day and I, I've gone back home and talked to my wife and she said, what did you do? And I said, well, I can't quite remember, but I know I was busy. <laughs> Yeah. We all have days like that. Yeah. Whereas if we can just get one, two, maybe three things, if not completed, progressed, yeah. we, we will have achieved something, we'll feel that achievement. Mm. I know a, a number of people um, go to the gym before work. Yeah. Their day is psychologically better because of that. Sure. Yeah. Because they've achieved something that nobody can take away from Absolutely, them. yeah, yeah. I go for runs. I love well, those days. Yeah. Really and, good. and I would imagine your energy levels and your performance level yeah, yeah. Is, is better because of what you did 
prior to that. Yes. So there's something about the start of the day mm. that mm. will make a difference for the rest of the day. Yeah. How can managers um, help their teams to be more efficient in how they work? Are there things that they can they can do to, to make their teams more efficient? I'm, I'm sure they can. Um, and I suppose the first thing is that managers, whether they like it or not, are role models. Yeah. I remember um, when I was a senior manager in, in my first national charity, and my boss came up to see me and started talking to me about my time management. Mm. He was starting to talk to me at 10 p.m. while we were both in the office. Blimey. Yeah. <laughs> so what's he saying to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think the first thing is you as a manager think about what role model you're giving mm. to your staff. If you're always late, yeah. if you're always working, you know, in the office to a, to seven, eight o'clock in the evening, yeah. you are telling your staff, even if your words aren't, mm. that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. The other thing that most staff tend to complain about managers is that they give them work with very little guidance mm. or very little deadlines yeah. and so again things should be better planned mm. uh, and better thought through and perhaps um, more of an encouragement of a coaching style yeah. where when people are delegated things they're encouraged to ask questions and to begin to take ownership and shape the work themselves yeah. rather than it just being a go do this. Sure, sure. And I suppose there's there's that line there isn't there between giving um, a team enough detail and enough guidance but not giving them so much that they feel they don't have any kind of ability to be creative for autonomy yeah. Yeah. and so finding a happy medium there. Always a Absolutely bit yes and, and uh, there's a lot of research now particularly about the millennials that if you don't do that, mm. you switch them off. Right. And even though you give them detailed descriptions of what to do, yeah. they don't do it. Sure. So you've got to find a way to get them to feel ownership yeah. of the tasks that you want them to do. It's interesting because one of the things that I've found personally, my you know, I manage teams and I've managed teams, and one thing that I've had to check myself on quite a number of occasions is just because a document, say, I don't know, an appeal, a letter, something hasn't been written the way I, I would have written it, the outcome will be the same. And I'm, I'm constantly having to kind of check that, you know, it's like rather than going back to the member of my team who's written it and say, I'd change this word or I'd, you know, change this sentence, it doesn't really matter. I've had to keep telling myself this, but it doesn't really matter. And, and I suppose there's damage that can be done to somebody's confidence if you're, you know, constantly saying you should write it as I would write it. Yeah, yeah. I suppose one of the big issues that I've seen in the third sector is many managers have been promoted internally mm. and the reason they've been promoted internally because they are very good at what they used to do right we don't know whether they're very good at managing yeah. but they were very good at some kind of um, technical aspect of the job whether sure. it's fundraising care or whatever yeah, yeah now the problem with being an expert is that you will tend to want to cross the T's and dot the I's for mm. people and they then therefore the staff that you're working with will often refer back to you right. for those expertise and that means that you end up being over delegated upwards mm. 
all the sorts of tasks that actually you want people to develop. So you're basically doubling up, aren't you? Yeah. Two people working on one person's work. Yeah. So one of the things to do is to kind of give a little bit more uh, scope. Yeah. And perhaps the question you should be asking after that is not should you change that word, but mm. what have you learnt that you will do differently next time? Yeah. So you're you're giving you're you're throwing the responsibility back mm. to the person you've delegated to, but you're also expecting them to have continuous development. Right. Okay. The other good thing, of course, is that your expertise, whether you like it or not might well have got out of touch yeah. because you were an expert three years ago. Sure, absolutely. And, yeah, things and, moving. And some of these guys who were coming into the, the job fresh mm. might have a different and perhaps better way of dealing with this. Yeah. And a good manager recognises that and takes the, 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 the benefit for the whole of the organisation. somewhere about a company that had reduced its working hours but demanded that the output be the same or the the impact be the same. It wasn't a charity, it was a commercial company. But is there any, anything to suggest that, um, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the, the scenario where you were working till 10pm, you know, is there anything to suggest that, you know, there's a, a key amount of time that people can actually do work and that outside of that key amount of time there's a... Um, it's unhealthy or it's uh, you know unproductive. Um, I I think there's all sorts of um, anecdotal evidence. Yeah. There seems to be some fairly hard evidence about uh, our ability to concentrate. Sure. And you can go back into the classroom and look at where teachers try and structure their work. Mm. So they might have a lesson of forty minutes. Yeah. But frequently they're trying to chunk it down into ten. 15 minute blocks. Okay. Now, we are just grown up children, really. <laughs> yeah, and therefore, some of our work has to work in that similar way. Right, okay. So, if we're doing quality work, yeah. we need to chunk it. Sure. And keep it in fairly, fairly discreet blocks. Mm. Then have a change of pace. Yeah. And then we can come back to it or whatever. So, how long we can keep, keep doing that, there is. There is some anecdotal evidence that suggests that uh, for, for some people, mm. the mornings are better than afternoons, right. and some people really shine in the evenings. Yeah, yeah. So you have to know what works best for you. And there's typically that three o'clock period, which is like the worst productive period because people are crashing after yeah. lunch and yeah. things like this. So. Yeah, and you know, and caffeine starts to take caffeine. its toll and oh, all those caffeine. sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. So there are ways in which we can try and manage that sure but sure. there is something about you know in, in grand terms the work-life balance yeah but in micro times just having a gap mm. and, a, and refresh the brain yeah so that we can have another go at important work and with the with the increments i mean you know i know it's, a, it's an anecdotal evidence but in terms of could that could those kind of increments that that kind of time um work for things like meetings i mean is there a kind of an optimum time for a meeting a length of time for a meeting or would it depend on the different things that are talked about in a meeting or you know the agenda i mean i've certainly been part of lots of meetings that seem to have gone on for way too long <laughs> and kind of people are dazed and, and staring yeah. and i think sometimes you can feel that about a meeting that's gone on way too long and it can 
have gone on for 30 minutes. Yeah. Only 30 minutes. Sure. Equally, sure. it could have been a day-long meeting. Yeah. And again, I think the same kind of principles should get, come into play. So if you're chairing a team meeting, mm. you should be thinking about pace yeah. and variety. Right, okay. So, you know, it, there might be a discussion, mm. there might be an opportunity for the team to break into pairs yeah. and then feedback. Right. There might be an opportunity to have a presentation. Mm -hmm. There might be other opportunities that allows much more engagement yeah. or a different person to take the lead and that variety can keep the energy levels going. What, what resources and training are available to charities to improve their time management? Obviously there's this podcast, which you've very kindly contributed Absolutely, to. Absolutely, yes. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. but are, there, are there things that, people, that you think you know, charities could look at advice on online courses anything like that that people can uh, can use or yes yeah um, there's a there's a number of formal training courses around time management um, that are good if only to make you reflect right okay and to think about your circumstance yeah i think anybody who is too prescriptive about you must do this technique or whatever will probably fail mm. but if they can share techniques and ideas together um, you're probably going to come away with one or two things that you want to try yeah and that that um, aids your productivity no end mm. because you have to constantly refresh yeah um, the other the other thing is read books um, you know and you can read now on the internet, you can read, you can have them audio books that you can use part of your commute. Mm -hmm. There are people like Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yes, heard of that, yep. You know, um, uh, David Allen, um, get, Getting Things Done, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a load of stuff out there. And if people want some tips on where to start, they've only got to contact me. Fantastic. And, and I'll make sure that they get the, my top three tips for what to start reading. Brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll get all your details on our website as well, Rob, and uh, so people can find you on there. And yeah, thank you so much for contributing to Charity Chats. It's been an absolute pleasure. So there you go, dear listener. That was Rob Legg speaking to me about organising our workloads and how we can better organise ourselves. And uh, lots of really useful tips there. I hope you enjoyed the show and found that useful. Uh, you can still find out more if you're interested on uh, Rob and also on the topics that we covered. There's some lots of useful links and videos that you'll find uh, helpful, I think. Uh, check out the website charitychat.org.uk. Equally, if you've got any questions for Rob, he's uh, very generously open to hearing from you. So do get in touch with us and we'll pass on your messages. And uh, it's only left for me to really say thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Rob. And also thank you to our corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for beautiful website design, at charitychat.org.uk Forest of Fools who have been playing throughout the show and will be playing us out shortly and also RR Yard Photography for the lovely pro bono images on our website check them out charitychat.org.uk please do get in touch with us we'd love to hear from you we always do and uh, we'll always respond to you so uh, get in touch through the, our charitychat.org.uk website 
Thanks again for listening. Take care. Cheerio. Bye.